Hey, Magic Makers. Welcome back to another episode of The Spiritual Gaze. I am one of your hosts, Angel. And I'm your other host, Brandon. And this is our twice-monthly podcast dedicated to exploring the wide reaches of spirituality without pretending that it all makes sense. Don't you mean monthly podcast? <laughs> yes, this is our twice-monthly podcast. Right. I know that was a thing I was trying to make happen for a while. I think you made it happen. For, I, I've seen people type it out. Yeah. Mm-hmm, in comments. And I think some people who listen. All right. I'm going to recommit to it. Yeah. Do you want to start again? No. <laughs> I'm just going to recommit to it. I'm one of your hosts, Angel. Oh, stop it. <laughs> we did it once. Once is enough. But Mars is in Gemini. Yeah. So let's you just could do, do it again. everything twice. Yeah. So twice I'm monthly one- podcast. Dedicated to exploring the wide reaches of spirituality without pretending that it all makes sense. Because it's Pisces season when nothing makes sense. Um, it's all backwards. It's like you're going down the rabbit hole to Wonderland. Is that where we're going? I think so. That's nice, actually. I will say hmm. I have had some really beautiful experiences of wonder. Oh, really? Well, just like Pisces season is a season when... The boundaries are blurred. Yeah. And so I feel that, especially when I'm out in nature. Oh, yeah, yeah. Like a couple days ago, I did this hike and I was in a rush to get back. And so I wanted to keep exploring this trail that I had found, but I knew that I really had to turn around. So I was just like, okay, I'm just going to do 300 more steps and then I'm going to turn around. And it was just a random number. I've never really done that before. And literally on the 300th step, there was this deer that was just like magically framed right. in the sunset light. And I was just like, oh, like waiting for me, like That's perfectly still. I know. And then as soon as I reached for my phone, she ran away. She was like, <laughs> I'm not for Instagram. Exactly. I'm for you. Like, take me in. And then uh, today I was doing the same hike going further. And there were these like two big crows. I think they're crows. I know everyone's like trying to teach me. I think crows caw and ravens make that like, sort of sound like mm-hmm. that like so these were crows because they were they were calling and my therapist told me that i should like talk to them like out loud so i was like hey guys like what's going on like nice to see you and all of a sudden they just like came right towards me and this one like big black crow with his like little crow feet dangling just like did this amazing like dance for me like so much so that i was like are you going to attack me like this is pretty intense <laughs> are you going to ask me out yeah and then they kept following me like every 20 minutes or so on the hike they would like show up again the two of them and then it wasn't the end of the hike because i kept going but at one of the peaks there's this like white cross and these two crows, I think it was the same crows, but who can say? Because I didn't see a lot of other crows. I just saw these two the whole time, or at least sets of two the whole time. They were sitting on that white cross, just like waiting for me. Wow. And I managed to get a picture of that. Are you feeling like you're in a hanged man space right now? Sure. Does that connect to crow for you? Well, just because, you know, I think of a scarecrow and crows like come mm. around and they like hang around scarecrows. That's interesting. I like that. So it kind of gave me this image of a hanged man. Yeah. Figure. Totally. A hanged one figure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I feel kind of hanged man-esque. I mean, that was my card for all of last year. 
Oh, right. Nime and Death, which tracks. <laughs> Go on. I just kind of feel like death right now. I actually mm. just feel very, as well, I said to you. Death becomes you. Thanks, honey. Um, Sorry, you were saying? No, just like as I said to you earlier, like I'm definitely feeling melancholy, which yeah. is a very Pisces season thing. For sure. I'm already checking in and we haven't even introduced ourselves. Who are you for anyone who hasn't been <laughs> listening to this ever before? We could have like first timers listening. You never yeah, know. I know. So for all you first timers, who who are you? So I'm Brandon. I am a healer or queeler, as yeah. we like to say around here. Uh, I'm a tarot reader and an astrologer and a teacher of both of those things. And I'm also a writer and a performer. I am. Oh, and I'm your husband. Thank you. Yeah. Your greatest love of all. That's true. You are my greatest love of all. Uh, I am Angel Lopez, and I am a writer and a film producer and an astrologer and teacher of esoteric things, a queeler, and your husband as well. Okay, so now back to me. All right, girl, so what was going on? So I'm really sad. Um, uh-huh. No, I just am definitely feeling a lot of things. Are you covering Noche's ears right now? You're I like, don't want him to I don't want you to hear that your daddy's sad. I want him to know. No, it's interesting. My card for this month is the five of cups, which is all about grief and befriending grief. And yeah. are you texting right now? No, I was <laughs> actually trying, trying to pull up my cards. Are you I'm even sorry. here right now? Of course I'm here. I'm always here with you. Um, so honestly, when I saw that card show up, I kind of thought that was when your dad was going to pass away. And I was like, right. Oh, I'm going to be holding space for angels grief. But just goes to show you, you never really know what the cards are going to lay at your feet Mm -hmm. because it's definitely less about holding space for you and more about like holding space for myself. But it's not grief so much as it's melancholy. And so I'm trying to follow the thread of my feelings to what is creating this feeling of sadness. But it's a it's a braided rope, if you will. There's lots of different things. Yeah, but I i mean, may I share some of our personal discussions from earlier? I mean, isn't that what we do here? <laughs> yeah, I know. Hi, we welcome to our show. We overshare. We have no boundaries. The spiritual overshare But is... also, it's because I don't ever think anyone listens to this. Right. And then people are like, oh yeah, I was listening to the podcast. Yeah, I didn't know that was what was going on. And I'm and like, like, oh, oh right. Wow. I know. Okay. But we were talking earlier and you were saying how you felt like, on some level, like you missed... The old ways, you know, like you were realizing how like the old ways of being weren't really going to come back. I mean, even if we get like some, you know, even if we're going out to movies and concerts and going to dinners and having things with friends, there's still a difference, right? Giving everything. And to me, that feels like grief. Oh, yeah, I guess I'm grieving the old ways, even though I like I know they weren't that great. And I know they needed to, no, they weren't that terrible. I mean, they were terrible for some people. Oh, well, yeah, but we're talking about you. Yeah, I just feel like, you know, something has broken open and it feels irrevocable. And I think there's an accumulation that just has happened over a year of surviving through this. And I'm just sad. And I don't think... I entirely know why, except that I'm just like living through this moment in time and it's a sad moment. Well, it's also been a really long time and I think everyone can on some level relate to that sense, you know, because even if you're vaccinated and going out and hanging people or, you know, or you just don't care about that sort of thing and you're just hanging out with people regardless, but, you know, there's still a, a different 
sense about the world, right? So I feel like everyone can connect to that. And I mean, it was like a, we're like a week away from the actual year date of when we checked into this hotel quarantine. So it's, it's almost like when you wake up from like a really great dream and you're like sad that you're awake. Yeah. Yeah. And that's how it kind of feels in terms of what we're all waking up to, even though I know we're also waking up to like systemic oppression and like, you know, I'm not glossing over that, but there was this like beautiful dream where like, I just like would call my friends and they would just come over and we would just like hang out and I would just hug people or I would go and get a latte and I wouldn't think about covering the lower, you know, third of my face. And, (laughs) you know, it's just like uh, that dream that we've all woken up from now and, and it will never be the same. And I guess I'm, I'm feeling some of that. Yeah. What are you gonna do? Just feeling it, feeling Pisces season. That's all you can do. Okay. I feel like a real Debbie Downer. So. Well, everyone, thanks for joining us. We're going to go now and cry. <laughs> I'm going to go sit in a bathtub and oh. listen to the new Ani DeFranco. I mean, that's actually what I really want to go do. Is there a new Ani DeFranco? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's been out for a little bit. But, but you haven't listened to it yet? I've listened to a couple tracks here and there, but I haven't like just sat and listened. Not that I'm going to sit in the bathtub for an hour. I mean, but... Um, I mean, you could. I do. <laughs> it is Pisces season. Yeah. I might well, just no, sink though. down the drain. Because then what about dinner? Yeah, no, we're going to eat dinner. So We've got that jalapeno cheese bread I, I know, made. I can't wait. So I let's know. get through this so I can get to my bath. Bye, everyone. <laughs> we have bread. We have baths to take and bread to eat. So my check-in is I'm ready for a bath and I'm ready for some bread. <laughs> I'm so excited for life, guys. I know Brandon's <laughs> it's like, <laughs> well, my check-in is everything's great. Life's a maze. <laughs> I look amazing. <laughs> you do look amazing. Oh, thanks. Even though my aunt last night, who's 96 years old, told me I looked a little fat, but she said it looked good on me. See, there you go. Body positivity. <laughs> Literally. I mean, that's just been my life with like any of my great aunts, you know? It's like, oh, un poco gordito. Like I was telling Brandon how like my nickname from my like abuela, my mom's mom, or my mom's grandma who basically raised my mom and like kind of raised me too growing up, who was an amazing woman, like so amazing. Um, but yeah, she always used to call me uh, Gordito. She'd be like, oh, mi Gordito, come on. And But she would like dance with me. She would like give me whiskey when I was four. Like she'd make me um, like food at 11 o'clock at night. This is a lot to unpack. <laughs> <laughs> and then she'd just like sit there and like smoke her cigarette while I ate my like, food at like 11 o'clock at night god those were the days <laughs> it's been downhill ever since <laughs> i hope you tell your therapist about this shit because there's a lot there i think please i'm saving it for the netflix series gordito gordito, <laughs> gordito angelito well there's so much to create uh but i'm i am actually like busy being creative these days which is fun and uh just very busy you know busy working i got a lot of things transiting my 10th house right now and i'm feeling it i'm feeling the busyness of that experience and i'm trying to enjoy it i think if anything pisces season has been like a doorway back into like a deeper connection with my spirit self Hmm. and my creative self and they're not different Exactly. Totally. 
So I've been doing my best to commune in that space. But yeah, they're not different. And remembering that I am essentially divine spirit walking. That was like a a good revelation for me of this Pisces season. Was that I'm always kind of like trying to commune with the spirit. And I tend to forget that I'm always already doing so. Mm -hmm. It's just getting still enough to be present with that space and to move from that space, you know? Yeah. So should we go eat bread now? (laughs) (laughs) What we should probably do is tee up the spirit talk. Yes. Even before we head into our little cosmic update. Okay. So we recorded this really fantastic spirit talk with Mark Horn a couple of weeks ago in the thick of Mercury retrograde. <laughs> oh, we learned some lessons. We're fools. <laughs> so what happened in that really fantastic spirit talk via Zoom is that the Zoom room kicked us out twice. I mean, at least. And Mark had to log back in and it was a hot mess shit show. And when we logged back in, for whatever reason, all of our audio equipment did not log back in. <laughs> didn't so, tell us, though. No, didn't tell us. So Mark sounds great all the way through, which is really all that matters. Yeah, that's really what matters. But you'll notice about 15 minutes into the podcast, it sounds like we are very far <laughs> away. We did not walk into a cave during the course of the conversation. So just know that's what's going on. We hope it doesn't get in the way because it's such a beautiful conversation and Mark is really wise and really funny and we're kind of obsessed with him. So we hope that you will stick around and listen to his expertise in tarot and Kabbalah. And we talk about his book, which is fabulous. Mm -hmm. And just, you know, full disclosure, it's going to sound a little weird on our end and we apologize and it's Mercury retrograde and we're fools and we're trying to make it better. Yes. Um, But before we get into that, we're going to give ourselves a little... Cosmic Update! So y'all, I think the main story here is Pisces season. Pisces season. We are in it. Hello. (laughs) Lots of feelings. The emotions are all out dancing. And we're actually on the 15th going to have Mercury move into Pisces and join that little party that Venus and the Sun and Neptune are all in right now. And, you know, with Pisces comes that, you know, again, like connection to imagination and spirituality, really. And I do think this is an opportunity to, as I was saying earlier, remember that you are a divine spirit walking. But I think it is really of value and particularly around this Pisces new moon that we have coming up on the 13th. So if you listen to this before the 13th, know it's still ahead of you. Oh, and isn't that the day that Mercury clears his shadow too? I believe so. Yeah. Oh. So it's a good little moment there. Yeah. It feels like a nice new moon. Mm-hmm. It really does. And I think it's a good time to check in with your life, with yourself and make sure that like, what you're giving focus to is in alignment with like your soul's vision. And by that, I mean, like, given that you are an embodiment of your soul, make sure that 
all of your actions, your intentions, everything is um, ultimately coming from that like deeper part of you and feels in alignment with your soul's joy, you know? I just think it's so important right now to be moving toward things that like really light you up, that really feel like in your heart, like they're right. I, I think anything that's feeling like should do's and need to do's, and of course, like we all have um, responsibilities that we can't just shirk off. You can't just be like, sorry, kid, like feed yourself. Um, you hear me, Noche? You're making your own dinner. <laughs> but it's about really making sure that the things you're doing for yourself are things that you want to be doing and are not being driven by old stories, old mentalities, old ideas of who you think you should be. And I, we have to remember, too, that Mars is in Gemini. Uh -huh. So I think it's also a value to like be in the question of things right now. That's true. You know, to be acting from a place of curiosity mm -hmm. is so important right now. Right. Instead of judgment. Yeah. That's been a theme that keeps coming up is like, okay, are we in curiosity or are we in judgment? Oh, okay, good. And that's a really good crystallization of that. Yeah. Just continuing to be curious. Yeah. And, you know, pausing to reflect on what you're actually doing and being like, why am I doing this? You know, do I like this? <laughs> Am I doing this because I liked it at one point, but maybe I don't love it so much anymore? You know, it's important to kind of be attaching questions to the actions that are going on right now. And then I think too, you know, we, we have heard, I think that like, yeah, the idea of like with Gemini, you may have to do things again. And I think it's about that pause where you do something and you're like, oh wait, am I doing this with intention? Hmm. Or am I just kind of doing this out of habit or mm -hmm. out of necessity or out of fear and then actually doing it or just committing to it further, but from a real place of intention. And that's where I think the Pisces comes in, right? Because then it's like, oh, what is my intention here? Um, this is like for the bigger vision of my life. Cool, cool, cool. Pisces season. Cool, cool, cool. And if you want to have more fun conversations about astrology with us, you have an opportunity because our astrology course, Chart and Soul, the magic of astrology is happening. It starts tonight if you listen to this podcast the day that it comes out. Yeah. And if you aren't listening to it the day that it comes out, I think we'll keep registration open for the first week. Yeah. So if you want to join us, you know, class two, and there are 11 classes. So if you join us a week late, you're not going to be too far behind the no. cosmic eight ball. But we have a fucking awesome group of students. I'm so excited to open up the invisible classroom, get on our spaceship. And we're only teaching it this one time this year. Yeah, so if are. you've been thinking like, oh, I'd really love to learn astrology from those gays. This is your chance. <laughs> so take advantage of it, yo. Yes. Come hang out with these queers and talk about the stars, the oh. planets, the cosmos. Oh, crrr. Yay. All right. Without further ado, let's dive into this episode's Spirit Talk. So we are so excited to have Mark Horn here in the spirit room virtually. 
And for those of you who don't know, Mark Horn is an author of a beautiful book called Tarot and the Gates of Light, A Kabbalistic Path to Liberation, which I had the privilege to getting to read through. And I'm so excited to draw Mark out on that book in the conversation. But he's also a lifelong LGBTQIA plus activist, the whole alphabet soup. Um, and uh, he also identifies as just another queer Jewish Buddhist, which I can't wait to ask you about, because <laughs> um, we're so curious about um, the intersection between spirituality and sexuality, and also just your path to discovering your unique flavor of spiritual practice. So, so welcome. Yeah, welcome. <laughs> uh, thank you. Thank you for having me. But I think maybe we'll begin there. Yeah, I mean, as Brandon said, you know, we, I mean, we ourselves exist in the intersection of queerness and spirituality. Um, so we're always excited when we get to speak with someone else who also does. Uh, but curious just how that obviously has informed your life path and the convergence thereof. And really just start at the, the day after my bar mitzvah when I was 13. Uh, you know, I, I, was brought up uh, in a nominally Jewish household, and I had a bonus fit at age 13, but I also knew at age 13 that I was gay. And, uh, you know, back in 1967, um, there really wasn't any uh, Jewish denomination or really any mainstream religion, which was accepting of that. And I knew this and I understood it. So my feeling was, uh, my love is sacred and I know this. Uh, in my heart of hearts. So if you don't get it, I'm out of here. And uh, that sort of set me on a path from a very early age of seeking different spiritual ways of being in the world um, that would accept my both my spirituality and my, at that point, as yet to be experienced uh, sexuality. Uh, and so I really, you know, I went off in a lot of different directions. This was, of course, the uh, mid to late 70s, or late 60s. So, you know, by the time 1970 had rolled around, you know, I palled around with the Hare Krishnas, the Guru Maharaji people, you know, and I'd read Ram Das. Um, you know, you, you go down these paths. And, um, and because I had also been involved uh, with an organization called the Society for Creative Anachronism, um, one of the people there, a science fiction writer, uh, turned me on to tarot cards. She gave me a tarot reading just before I went up to the Woodstock Festival. And uh, she looked at the cards and she looked at me and she said, these cards suggest to me that in fact, you should really be reading cards. And they, they did speak to me. I, I was really fascinated by the images. They, they really sort of spoke to something that I didn't understand. So I asked her, you know, what should I get? What kind of books? What kind of cards? Um, she gave me a, an assignment. And, um, and I haven't looked back since. You know, the cards have been with me everywhere I've been on my life. You know, when I moved to Japan, um, I took them with me. And they were part of my um, path into Buddhism. And they were also central uh, to my relationship with my Japanese partner at the time, who got very seriously into tarot cards. And the interesting thing, though, uh, is that, you know, at the very beginning, uh, when I, the very second book I read about tarot, it brings up the Kabbalistic uh, connections. But there were two things that, you know, struck me. One, I'd walked away from Judaism, so I, I wasn't really interested in it. And second, the way it was written about in this book, the way the Kabbalah, the Kabbalah was written about, it was, I felt, 
overly obscure and mystified as though where this was something holy and we have to sort of hold it a little far away from you because you're not supposed to know all these secrets. And I thought, don't give me this bullshit. Pardon yeah. my, uh, oh, feel free to curse. This is a, <laughs> an all ages podcast. <laughs> yeah. so, uh, so, I, so, I, so I just said, you know, I'm not going to pay any attention to this. Um, and while I was in Japan all those years, like I'm very seriously into Buddhism, not Japanese Buddhism, because uh, Japanese Buddhism is mostly Zen, and that's a little bit militaristic for me. But I came across Theravada Buddhism and started uh, going off on meditation retreats in Japan and in India and in uh, Burma, which eventually became Myanmar. Um, and um, one of the things that happened on one of those meditation retreats I think it was like maybe the 16th or 17th day of a 20-day silent retreat. I had this experience that the Buddhists would say is an illusion because the Buddhists don't believe in a soul, right? There's no reality to the soul. Uh, but I came across, you know, as I got deeper and deeper into who I am, I felt like my soul at rock bottom was Jewish and that there was something in my tradition that I was missing that I needed to learn about. So uh, when I came back to the States, I uh, connected with a, a friend of mine, uh, the lesbian who, with whom I co-founded our uh, LGBTQ group in college back in 1970. And uh, she had gotten back into Judaism and she said, she said, what do you find in Buddhism that you don't find in Judaism? She took down a prayer book and, um, and she opened it up for me and she said, look at this. And I, I read some of these prayers and I said, oh, this reads like very serious meditation instruction, except I've never met a rabbi who taught that or understood that that's what this is saying. And she said, I live in North Carolina. And if I could find a rabbi who could teach me this, you live in New York. There's got to be somebody. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> so I, I went off in search uh, in New York uh, for uh, some rather mystically minded rabbis. And oddly enough, uh, I ended up going to a mainstream synagogue, well, not so mainstream, in my own neighborhood, uh, run by a rabbi who uh, was um, given a, a national award by the government of Argentina for standing up to the, the junta when they were in charge. He ran an underground railroad of getting people out when he lived in Argentina. Very courageous man, a very deeply mystical man. So I went to this service and I started weeping in the middle of the service because it was so beautiful and it just cracked open my heart. And then they announced, by the way, at the end of the service, there's a, you know, the gay and lesbian committee is having a potluck, you know, in this room. I thought, what? Okay, I'm going. Off I went and, before we were about to start, the rabbi came in and he said, I want you to understand, we don't do this because we want to show you how tolerant we are. We do this because as a community, we would not be whole without you here. And I, I was dumbfounded. I, I never even thought I'd hear anything that good. But he walked his talk. And um, so I got myself very seriously involved in this community. And within two years of coming back to Judaism after all these years away, I found myself teaching at the Jewish Theological Seminary. And if you had told me this any time <laughs> between the ages of 13 and 40, I would have laughed. <laughs> no way. 
If I could just jump in here, Angel, the first thing I want to ask you about is you said right after your bar mitzvah, you knew that your love was, I think you said, sacred. Yes. So to me, it sounds like you didn't struggle internally with any sort of shame or... Oh, so so don't let me uh, suggest that. (laughs) (laughs) It wasn't a clean... However, there happened to, to be this queer Jewish Buddhist who became my hero. I was watching a, one of those late night talk shows in, in the mid 60s in New York City. And the guest was this guy named Allen Ginsberg. Mm-hmm. And he talked about being queer and he talked about being Jewish and he talked about being Buddhist. And I thought, oh, there are people who live this way. Mm-hmm. This is this is someone who I need to is my is on my path. I need to read him. I need to learn about him. And within weeks, I had a poster of him up in my room in Brooklyn. Um, and my parents were a little disturbed because he uh, was very famous at that point, you know, for being anti-war and smoking pot openly and uh, and being queer. And so, you know, he was not a, considered a very good influence. But he was one of my early heroes. And I'm very proud of a, a, a book of poetry that I have of his that he signed from one queer Jewish Buddhist to another. Oh, it's so beautiful. But yes, I struggled. And, um, and it was an on-again, off-again thing because I grew up with all of this stuff coming in. And I grew up in a lower middle-class neighborhood in Brooklyn where, you know, I mean... Uh, epithets for being uh, gay were, you know, every other word in the playground. Uh, And I was certainly not your average kid. Uh, So I was often the target of those uh, epithets. But um, so, of course, and nobody wants to be different uh, until I decided by the time I got to high school that being different was really the best thing yeah. Well, and of course, like it creates like a rebellious streak in you. And that is then turning away from every, anything that is mainstream or, you know, culturally oh, yes. acceptable. Um, but it does seem like there was still an undercurrent of some sense of spirit or, you know, some something sacred, as you said. I had a very spiritual sense, sensibility. Uh, it really wasn't actually after I passed through the Gay Liberation Front onward to the Gay Activists Alliance that I met, met a group of militant atheists who kind of turned me away for a few years. But uh, but they, they taught me a lot, and it was part of my path. Um, and these were teachers of mine that I'm grateful for, for many things that I learned. And they really gave me uh, the ability to question, right, every path that I went down, not accepting what I was just told, uh, because in the, in the new age, so many people kind of walk around in a pink cloud. <laughs> yes. Yeah. You know, there is no, you know, you know go, going to tarot here for a minute, there's none of this sword energy that cuts through the bullshit. Right? Totally. Nothing that, you know, there's no sharp thought and distinction and intellectuality that says, okay, what's the truth here? What's the truth that speaks to my heart? And what is, you know, other stuff that people are putting out as a way of either, you know, making themselves powerful spiritually? Um, what, what's going on? And, um, and those people really taught me to ask those questions. Yeah. 
I think a lot of people are on this path of like, show me the way, tell yeah. me the truth, um, mm -hmm. which is what is so brilliant about the tarot, right? Because it can create a, re a direct relationship with spiritual wisdom for yourself to empower you to, to sort of take in the insight and then, you know, live your life from that space. Very much so. This is what I tell people who come to me for readings. You know, I, I, you know, I say the, the cards are not here to make, to tell you what the decision is. The cards are here to show you several different possibilities and give you a, a better perspective so that you have a clearer understanding to make your decision. You, you know, this is about taking spiritual responsibility for yourself, mm. not putting that responsibility on me or the cards. What's coming to me right now is that both the tarot and Judaism are kind of built on questions and questioning. <laughs> yes. Like if you don't have good questions to bring to the tarot, you don't get really good answers. But also from my understanding, kind of the foundation of Judaism is, is why? <laughs> and is questioning, you know? Oh, yes, yes. You know, I, I, I'm tempted to say that Jews are genetically predisposed to arguing with God. <laughs> <laughs> right? You know, you, you just go right back to the, you know, the book of Genesis, and Abraham's arguing with God. He's saying, no, no, you can't destroy, uh, Sodom, you know, Sodom and Gomorrah. They're, they're good people there. Well, no, they start bargaining, right? Um, you know, Jacob wrestles with, with God. Right? Everybody's having some kind of a discussion or, or, you know, or saying, no, 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 no I don't, I'm not accepting this. You know, Moses said, don't send me. I don't want to go. Everybody, like, has this questioning and wrestling with the divine. And, and I think that that is, and every one of the prophets as well, and, and I think that that's a, a more honest response. When people sort of have some kind of divine connection, sometimes the first response is, what? Uh, no, 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 this, I'm, this, I'm, I'm not good enough. All of us, all of us have self-esteem issues, right? You know, I'm not good enough to stand in front of the divine. I, I want to hide. I'm embarrassed. You know, you can see everything about me, and I don't want you to. So no. But the interesting thing, and this, this is one of the great lessons of tarot, and actually one of the great lessons of Judaism, is that to use a word that I don't actually like to use very much, uh, God loves all of you. Right? You you cannot leave any part of yourself out when you want to have a relationship with the divine. Uh, and this is why I say, you know, you want to be spiritual, you cannot leave your sexuality out. And in fact, your sexuality has to be spiritual, and your spirituality has to be erotic and sexual. Uh, I, you know, I'll never forget, um, uh, there was a, a, a mystical rabbi I studied with, and, and I learned that um, he was uh, teaching a bar mitzvah student, uh, 13 years old. And he said to the, to the student, so, do you masturbate? Right? And the kid was like mortified, right? His rabbi is asking him if he jerks off. And he kind of said, uh, yeah. And what the rabbi said to him was, remember to let God in. Oh, oh my goddess. I mean, that would be such a game changer. Yeah. Well, yeah. yeah. I mean, as someone who grew up Catholic, that was never near <laughs> <laughs> the conversation. <laughs> 13, 14, even 15. Oh, God, I loved tortured Catholic boys when I was a kid. 
<laughs> Me too. So a question that we love to explore when we get to sit with another queer spirit, and we're already talking about it, but I'd love to zero in on it a little bit more. And the rabbi that you spoke of seemed to understand that queer people, we bring a particular flavor to the human existence. There is a necessity for our being here. And I'm curious in your experience, in your opinion, like what is, what is queer spirit and what is the uniqueness that the queer experience brings both to the mundane world, but also to spirituality? I'm sure you're familiar with the work of Andrew Raymer. I don't know if I am. Say, oh, say again, Andrew okay. Raymer. So here's, this is someone you must have as a guest. Andrew Raymer is the author of a, one, I'd say, um, one of the, uh, a gay men's spiritual revolutionary work called Two Flutes Playing. Okay. He was a, a sort of a, a student or acolyte of Harry Hay. We named him, when he was very young, a young elder of the community. He and I are, are, are good friends, have been for more than 25 years. And one of the things that he teaches uh, is that queer people are, are part of the spiritual ecology of the planet because we arise in all peoples um, and we are a people within all peoples who are interested in culture and beauty uh, that we and we're also sort of beauty and culture scouts that we're the people who make contact with other peoples and bring cultural exchange in and in mm -hmm. this way we knit the spirituality of all peoples together. And he, he refers to us as the walks between people. Mm. And, and he also says, because we walk between cultures, but we also between, we walk between life and death. Part of our role is just as there are doulas who are uh, people who uh, um, bring help uh, birth people, uh, we have in many cultures been the ones who have stood there or been there as people have transitioned through death. And in many cultures, we have been the shamans uh, and, and the, the religious figures. It's only in Western civilization in the last you know, thousand or so years that this has been denied. And uh, he's very much about reclaiming this. That's very interesting, this through line of queer people as a gateway. Mm. We had um, Don Kilhefner on the podcast, who co-founded the Radical Fairies with Harry Hay, and he was talking a little bit about Mali Domasome's um, experience of queer people, and, and, and the word gateway is one that just really resonated. But I love this idea of not just gateway between the spirit worlds and the ordinary reality, but also a gateway between other cultures. Yes. Mm -hmm. yes. And, and that actually, you know, comes back in a way to my book because it says tarot and the gates of light. Yeah. Um, you know, each, each card is a gate. Uh, and each card is a gateway into an experience of the divine. Uh, because within Kabbalah, uh, one of the things that I, I truly love about Kabbalah is that the divine is beyond gender and mm. expresses itself in our consciousness as both male and female. Exoteric Judaism divorced the goddess, and it yes. was entirely patriarchal. But esoteric Judaism, the goddess lives on and is in fact the most important way to experience the divine. You know, I mean, if you, if you read 
the Hebrew Bible, if you read the, uh, the prophets. Um, so the, the temple stood from about, um, say, 1000 uh, BCE to about 586. So let's say 500 years. During those 500 years, and you can read the prophets because they lived during that period and they're always talking about what's going on with the religious life of the people. Half of the time they're saying, you got to get that statue of the goddess out of the temple. Because <laughs> right? <laughs> right? they, you know, because those, you know, the, the, the way of the prophets, they were patriarchal, but the people were not. And the, the, the religion of the period recognized that um, the divine feminine was just as important. We're about to celebrate uh, one of the, the Jewish holidays, Purim, um, uh, uh, later in the week or next week, um, which is, uh, in some ways, it is a, a celebration of the divine feminine and uh, one of the great open secrets um, of mystical Judaism. Uh, so uh, one of the things that Jews eat uh, uh, as a, a pastry uh, on uh, Purim is called a hamantashen. And it is a triangular pastry with a little triangle within it um, of, you know, either prune or poppy seeds or whatever. And, you know, if you hold it up, it's really clear that this is a vaginal symbol. And the hero of this, um, uh, the book of Esther is Esther. And Esther is actually connected to Ishtar. And there's a whole lot of sort of goddess stuff going on here that is under the table. Uh, but if you are a mystical Jew, you know it all and you connect with it. You know, Mark, they did not teach me this in Hebrew school. They told me it was because of, uh, you know, Haman's hat that we ate those damn triangle right, cookies. That's what they so again, another like patriarchal washing and hiding indeed. what was right there. Indeed. And, you know, but really, uh, you know, so first of all, the male God, God does not appear in the book of Esther at all. It is entirely mm. Esther. And by the way, so her uncle is Mordecai, um, who is connected to, uh, you know, the Babylonian guard Marduk. Mm. So as I say, there is a subtext here of other, you know, what I'll call pagan energies that are subterranean yeah. within Judaism and that pop up every now and then. And, and Kabbalah understands this. So that when you talk about, and one of the ways we deal with it in, you know, in Kabbalah is with the Sefirot. They are energies, they are not gods or goddesses, but, right. but they are male or female, right? And they can change gender, right? Uh, and as do, uh, as do the people Israel in relationship to the divine. I want to dive into your book a little bit um, because it seems like we're approaching this intersection between Judaism and tarot. And I know that the tarot came into your life when you took a step away from Judaism, but the tarot was with you when you came back to Judaism. So can you talk yes. about how Judaism and particularly Kabbalah enriched your experience of the tarot and how you're offering that in the, in the book. So even when I walked away from Judaism, um, Passover was always with me. Because I, I always felt like Passover was a great cross-cultural, cross-spiritual holiday of, of freedom, right? 
And, uh, you know, I celebrated it in Japan, even when I, you know, didn't consider myself Jewish. But when I returned to Judaism, um, and I learned some of the Kabbalistic underpinnings of um, Passover, the period between Passover and a holiday I really didn't know very much about when I was a kid called Shavuot, and which the Christians call Pentecost. And Pentecost simply means 50 days in Greek. And Shavuot in Hebrew means weeks, because 50 days is seven weeks plus one day. Um, and the idea, mythically speaking, is that uh, on Passover, you are freed from being enslaved in Egypt which in Hebrew is, is called Mitzrayim, and translates really as the narrow place. Mm -hmm. So in some ways, our consciousness is enslaved in this narrow, small place. And with Passover, we step into freedom, and then we travel for 49 days, mythologically speaking, all the Israelites travel through the desert, and on the 50th day, they arrive at the foot of Mount Sinai, where everyone, Here's the voice of the divine. And the, the point of wandering through the desert for those 49 days is learning to take spiritual responsibility. It's about learning to free oneself from slave consciousness to messianic consciousness. And Kabbalistically, uh, the practice is between uh, Passover and Shavuot, you work with two of the sefirot on the tree of life, and you do meditations with them as a way of clearing your psycho-spiritual mm -hmm. blockages. Right? And, and, and I say, uh, and also physical, because the sefirot align on the body the same way the chakra system does. Uh, so that over this period of seven weeks, you are working with all of these energies as a way of getting yourself ready. So on the 50th day, you have become a stronger container that is with less blockages so that you can hold more light and receive more light directly. And so I'm learning this as I came back to Judaism with all of this Kabbalistic practice. And after doing it for a couple of years, I, said, I thought, Shtumi, wait a <laughs> second. This connects to the cards. You can do this with the cards. And so on my blog, another queer Jewish Buddhist at the time, I started doing it publicly. Um, and um, I got a lot of reactions. People wrote me and were really enthused. Um, so I realized I had something here. Uh, but I continued to work it privately because I really needed to work it through myself for a long time until I really felt it was something I understood deeply that I could share with other people as a path. But I was blown away by it. And the other thing is that, you know, I realized that there were no books like this out in the tarot world. Why? Because almost everybody in the tarot world writes about Kabbalah from a hermetic point of view. They don't have the Judaic background. They don't have Judaic Kabbalistic practices. And the more I learned these practices, the more I realized I could combine them with the tarot. There are a whole bunch of other practices that you can do with the tarot that are connected um, to Kabbalah. Um, those will be other books, you know, with all kinds of sort of magical practices and working with 
uh, different levels of divine names and energies in order to manifest certain things. But this is in some ways the, the simplest um, path and, it, and working this path actually teaches you the entire structure of the tree in a way that happens in very small gulps. So something that might seem overwhelming at first, because you do it on a daily basis, you know, with little bits and pieces over the course of 49 days. By the time you've gotten through the 49 days, you've really digested it, and it has digested mm -hmm. you. Well, and it's so helpful to have that framework, right, for people to, to go yes. through any sort of spiritual process. It is, it is a ritual. And, you know, I mean, I did this ritual for, as I say, for a couple of years without the tarot. And I didn't really love it because it felt abstract in a way that sometimes Kabbalah can be abstract. And when I added the cards, all of a sudden it brought it into everyday reality. Um, because the cards are images of everyday reality. And, 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 and the, at least the weight uh, Smith deck uh, was designed very specifically with the Kabbalistic correspondences in, in mind, so that every card you look at, you can actually see the meaning of that particular path encoded in the card sy symbolically. Well, I'm very excited to do it. I know you can do it at any time, but since we're getting close to Pesach, I feel like I just want to do it in the actual period that it was done for so many years. It's one of the things I, I tell people. I, I say, you know, anybody who wants to do it, go right ahead, do it whenever you want. And people have, and they have great results. But I think if you do it when so many other people on the planet are doing it, you are getting the benefit of the morphic field of energy. Everybody's sort of doing it together that you hook into that sort of gives you an extra zhuzh. So a question I have for you, Mark, is a question about appropriation. Because you wrote this book about Kabbalah, and I assume you want a lot of people to read it, not just Jewish people. Yes. And yet I know that some people, particularly in our community, because this is a conversation we're always having, you know, feel, I don't know if nervous is the right word, but if they don't necessarily have Jewish ancestry, is this something that they have a right to explore? There is a very complicated history here. Um, and it is the history of Renaissance Europe and the history of Judaism and Christianity. So that at, in Renaissance Europe, during the time when both tarot was birthed and Kabbalah uh, was first sort of being spread among Christians, the, you know, Christians, some of the, the, the works of Kabbalah were first being translated into Latin. A lot of Christians went right to Kabbalah polemically because, you know, first of all, you know, the Jews, the, the Kabbalists were keeping this secret for very important reasons. Some of the reasons were that there's all this stuff about sexual energy and, and they felt like if you don't understand how to work with this energy, you can get yourself in a lot of trouble. Mm -hmm. uh, so, um, so we don't want people to understand to do this unless they have a very grounded relationship to sexuality. But I put that aside and say, so the Christians find out about this and they say, wait a second. The Jews say there is no trinity. They just say God is one. But really, 
this thing seems to be saying God is 10. <laughs> and what's more, they're saying these top three sephirot are really, you know, the divine world that we can't get to. So really, they are saying God is a trinity, right? So they, for them, it was very important to translate all this stuff, to use it as a club over the Jews, to say, hey, you understand this. You just don't understand really what it means. This really proves Christianity is right. Um, so that, you know, Kabbalah became the middle of a wrestling match. Mm -hmm. uh, and, you know, you look at, uh, like, you know, a very famous deck is the Visconti Sforza deck uh, from the 15th century. Well, you know, the Sforzas also had illuminated manuscripts of the Tree of Life that they studied, and they paid for scribes to, um, to, to make these things. Uh, so they, you know, it was part of their DNA to how to work with these different systems. So if you say appropriation, well, they were already doing it back in, you know, 1450, 1500. You know, this is, so it's kind of written stone at this point. And, and then, you know, then you get to the point of, the 1700s and the 1800s and even the 1900s, and you've got the Hermetic Order of the Golden Dawn in the 19th century. So the Hermetic Order of the Golden Dawn, you've got Westcott, one of the founders, he translated the Sefer Yetzirah. And McGrether Mathers translated from the Latin a book called uh, Kabbalah Denudata, Den Den The Kabbalah Unveiled, which was written in Latin by Christian Nor von Rosenroth in the 17th century, which was his um, understanding of Lurianic Kabbalah. And actually, it's really quite deep. Um, you know, if you read this, he's, he's got it. He really understood it. And it's funny, if you actually really spend time going through his book, he has a little fig leaf at the end, um, because he knows that what he's writing about um, could get him burned. Uh, so at the very end, you know, he says, and all of this is for the greater, greater glory of Christ, right? Because um, <laughs> he knows if he doesn't say this, yeah. he's going to be in trouble. Um, but he knew it, and he was working. But, but as I say, all of this stuff then, you know, sort of, uh, became a river that flowed into the Hermetic Order of the Golden Dawn. And those are the people who created, I mean, who were members of that. Wade, right? And Pamela Coleman-Smith and Alistair Crawley and uh, Paul Foster Case, who was the um, uh, part of the American uh, successor organization. So all of this is flowing in. Um, so did they appropriate it? Yeah. Was And were they some of them anti-Semites? Definitely. Um, and, um, and did they actually change some of it because they didn't like some of the way they, some of the things they saw? As I said, you know, we, we talk about different maps. They changed the, the different paths of the letters uh, on the tree. And I'm okay with that because as I say, it's different maps, but it's all the same underlying reality. Um, and either one you work with, at some point, you're going to get to a place where you go beyond the map and you have to find it on your own, right? Um, the map is, is a guide to this territory, but ultimately it's territory that you must navigate and, and where you will meet your spirit guide. Uh, but 
so you say, well, um, should people be studying this if they're not Jewish? Well, damn, they've been doing it for hundreds of years. <laughs> uh, so I don't have any problem with, what I have a problem with is uh, having no respect for the origin. Mm -hmm. And, you know, when I said, uh, you know, I'm, yeah, I'm the only person who's written a book which shows you how to do these Kabbalistic rituals with tarot, it's because I'm coming at it from a Judaic Kabbalistic point of view. And that means you have access to practices and rituals that you don't have through hermetic teachings. Hermetic teachings give you other things that are wonderful. Um, but I think that you're missing the jewel if you don't um, go into the, the Judaic origins of this. I'm not only a, a Kabbalist and a tarot reader, I'm a performing storyteller. You know, I, I tell uh, sacred stories uh, in spiritual spaces. And I, you know, I taught spiritual storytelling at the Jewish Theological Seminary. And, um, and I was trained by uh, someone who studied with Native American storytellers, Maori storytellers, Roma storytellers, so that she actually is been, what is, what is the word, um, initiated into the lineage so that she is able to tell some of these stories because she has been accepted by these communities and trained with them, right? I have learned these stories, um, but I would not feel comfortable telling stories from those cultures because it's not my culture. Um, but I am comfortable telling Jewish stories. And you want, then you want to talk once again about um, appropriation. Let's look at folktales. You can actually trace the history of a folktale along the Silk Road as it changed from culture to culture. Because all cultures adopt it and give it their own spiritual spin. Um, you know, you know Rip Van Winkle is an American story, but there is a traditional Jewish story called Oni, Oni the Circle uh, uh, Maker, which is about uh, a Jewish prophet who falls asleep and wakes up, you know, 40 years later. And what happens to him? Which connects to a Japanese story called um, uh, Urashima Taro, which is somebody who's taken away by the fairies, the Japanese fairies, and comes back and it is, you know, 70 years later and everything's changed or the Irish story of Oshin, which I really love because, so Oshin is one of the, the pagan forebears before uh, Patrick comes, St. Patrick comes to Ireland and he goes, he marries a fairy princess. And when he comes back, Ireland has been converted to Christianity. And, and when he falls off his horse, all of a sudden he go, grows as old as he would have been if he had been there. So he's ready to die. And St. Patrick comes to him and says, convert and you can go to heaven. And he says, well, you know, are my ancestors there? And he said, well, no, they're pagans. They all went to hell. Uh, and at which point Oshin says to him, well, then the hell with you. <laughs> he dies, right? And, and my feeling is, and this is a story that they tell in, you know, this is Irish folklore that they tell with great love uh, in a deeply Catholic country, and I love this, because as I say, there are subterranean pagan um, uh, paths in all of our traditions that are yearning to break free. I love that, even as you illuminated for us earlier about Esther and Ishtar. Yes, yes.
and just kind of seeking these. Yeah, and seeking just the connection, the interconnectedness of it all, which is easily forgotten. And I love what you say too about just because you've learned certain stories doesn't mean that you feel comfortable telling them. Right. So somebody might feel free to learn and steep themselves in other cultures or traditions, but then the idea of discernment comes around like, well, am I going to offer this? Right. Am I going to, you know, perform this? And that I think. I teach, I, you know, I perform Japanese Buddhist stories because I spent a lot of time deep in that culture and studied with Japanese storytellers and with uh, Thai Buddhist storytellers. But, but I, you know, in the beginning of my uh, path as a storyteller, I learned a Hopi tale that I really love. And I told at the beginning of my journey. And as I went along, I realized that I didn't have the full context for this and that it wasn't appropriate for me to tell it. As much as people loved what I told, um, and this is, and then, then, then you have to raise the question because there are many cultures, I mean, the Hopi culture is still with us, um, but there are cultures that no longer exist that have stories that call out to be told. Um, what is our relationship to those stories? How can we bring them to life with respect um, without trying to own them or make them our own, but to understand the strange alienness of it and present that as the gift that it is. That's really lovely. Mm -hmm. I, uh, I think about like Tinkerbell and how you have to believe in her to keep her alive. And that's something we can do for these, these stories and these cultures that aren't with us anymore. Yes, very much so, very much so. So I know people that are familiar with the tarot know about pulling cards. Right. But in the book, what you're really suggesting is meditating on cards. You yeah. know what cards you're working with. You pull them face up and you engage with them in a meditative way. Could you just speak a little bit about what that practice is? Well, it is a multi-layered practice. You know, first it is um, getting in touch with the energy of the sephirot themselves. And the sephirot, um, are within us and without us. They surround us and they live within us. They're, we're not separate from it. So it's about sort of tuning into that energy. And sometimes just looking at the card softly helps connect to that energy. Hmm. But, you know, but, and so that you use it almost as uh, the way the Tibetans have a tanka, right? A visual, it's, a, it's an object of visualization that connects you to a certain kind of uh, spiritual energy. But then there's also uh, a more uh, modern way of actually then literally using the card literally as a gate and stepping into it imaginationally so that you can interact with the figures in the cards and learn from them. Uh, so that all, and all of these things are practices, you know, and I, I recommend all of them. Uh, and some days, you may only want to just sort of feel the energy. And sometimes you may literally feel pulled into the card, right? There is a figure in there that has a message for you that you need to hear. Right. Um, and so, I, you know, I, I think that it is important uh, to work with the cards in a way that 
works for you on a daily basis? Well, I feel like you've offered us already so many like just wonderful tips and and suggestions for you know working with the tarot just in general, even beyond the framework of your book. And we have so many people I think who listen to this show who are still in the beginning stages of their path with the I tarot. Teach. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Do you you have any other advice you would give some of these folks? Well, who... I say there are a lot of great books, but what I'd say is, you know, go to my website, gatesoflighttarot.com, or uh, go to my Facebook page, you know, facebook.com slash tarotgates. You know, I write about this these issues every day. I interpret the cards uh, Kabbalistically every day. I list books that are important for our a learning on this path. Um, and of course, you know, on the site, um, you know, I list um, the, the upcoming classes that, that I'm teaching. You know, I'll be teaching a class in a couple of weeks that really introduces people just before Passover on how to do the Omer practice. Um, uh, I'm doing a class in a couple of weeks that is an introduction of how to do the Tree of Life spread which, you know, when I actually teach that as a full course, will be several weeks because, you know, the tree of life, when you look at it on a piece of paper, it looks flat. It's two-dimensional. But the tree of life is ten-dimensional. Right. Right? Um, so you have to, when you look at any one's position, it, it vibrates to all these other places. And this is a way of learning to see and connect to all of that energy. Amazing. And what is your website just for all of our gazers so they know right where to go? Uh, Gatesoflighttarot.com. Beautiful. And I just want to say again, the book is called Tarot and the Gates of Light, A Kabbalistic Path to Liberation. Mark, thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you so much. I I enjoy enjoy your your columns in Queerty, I have to say. Oh, thank you. (laughs) Cool. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you. Well, I hope you gazers enjoyed that. He's so lovely. Yeah, he was really nice. I'm so glad we got connected with him. Me too. Unfortunately, we got connected again and again. (laughs) Yeah, we got disconnected (laughs) and then reconnected. (laughs) But I'm excited to keep um, a relationship going with him. Yeah, totally. All right. Well, thank you, Mark, for joining us. We really appreciate it. Yeah. All right. Well, let's finish out this episode with a little tarot card poll. So just take a moment and tune in. Connect to the cards by listening to the sound of them being shuffled. Just trusting that no matter the future place or time to which you listen to this episode, you are going to receive the message that you need for this moment in your life. All right, and the card we're working with is... The King of Cups Reversed. So what's really interesting about this poll is that the King of Cups reverse, to me, always feels like the need to assert boundaries. Because King of Cups is you when you are really showing up in the role of healer. Cups is the realm of emotion. It's the realm of intuition. It's really the realm of the heart. And the king of this suit is really where you're able to hold big, beautiful space for other people's feelings, other people's, you know, healings that need to happen. But the reversal, the upside down quality would say, maybe we need to take a step back and look at this. Maybe we need to hold some of this back. And in Pisces season, it's the most important time 
to assert boundaries. And every Pisces that I ever read, astrology or tarot, I'm always talking to them about boundaries because Pisces energy, it's just so easy to lose yourself in the cosmic soup of it all. So I think if the King of Cups is the message for all of us this week, it's to reassert our own need to attend to our own healing. It doesn't mean that we can't still be healers for other people. It doesn't mean that we can't hold space for other stories, other characters, other voices. But for whatever reason, this week is really asking us to return to whatever in us still needs to be tended to before we sidestep our own process to, you know, give it to somebody else, which is so easy to do, right? Like it's so easy to do for somebody else what you struggle to do for yourself. And I also would just say like, Wherever you feel like your boundaries are a little fractured, notice it and see what you can do to attend to them. I think that's the other like hard thing just about this moment in time is that the boundaries for everyone and everything are so blurry. There's so many different contradictory rules. Is this safe? Is this not safe? A lot of misinformation. And so all you can do is feel into what's right for you. And if the boundary feels like it's being trespassed just based on your own intuition, then it's being trespassed and just reassert it. Girl, I feel that. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Do I've you? been in boundary boot camp. Yeah. Well, and then you'll be able to be the gorgeous King of Cups healer that the world needs you to be having filled your own cup. Yeah. You got to refill your cup. Yeah. Give you gifts to yourself this week, everybody. I love that. So what the hell am I doing here? Let's get out of here. We adore you and we're so grateful for this community. We're really excited for class to start up again because we've missed all your beautiful faces. Yeah, and we get to meet some new faces. And we get to meet some new faces. And there's going to be uh, an exciting opportunity to see some faces soon because we're going to do our first live show. Oh, yeah. We are working on a live podcast episode yeah. via Zoom, of course. Yeah. But we're really excited for that. So stay mm -hmm. tuned. That'll be happening probably in the next month or so. Yeah, we want to do that for soon. Aries season. Mm -hmm. And as always, you know where to find us, thespiritualgaze.com. Find us on Instagram at thespiritualgaze or Twitter, just spiritualgaze. Or wherever else, you know, you get your content. We're there being spiritual, being gay. Probably yep. wearing a wig or an earring or some nail polish. Actually, I haven't worn nail polish in months. I think that's why I'm sad. Yeah, honey. I need to go paint my nails. Get it together. Until next time, this has been your transit through the spiritual game.